This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and welcome to Product Mastery Now. You are product masters, and I call you that because you are on this journey with me from product manager to product master. And today we're talking about a topic that we have not visited on this podcast since 2015, and that's what product managers need to know and should know about intellectual property protection. Some organizations have a more robust IP approach, and other product management organizations and organizations in general, maybe less so, let's say, right? So what is it that we need to know about IP? Well, that's what we're going to find out. And help us with that is Rich Goldstein. He is a patent attorney and an entrepreneur, author, and speaker who helps people protect and capitalize on their valuable ideas. He's also the author of the American Bar Association's book on IP, which is titled The ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent. And further, he originally studied electrical engineering. We have that in common, him and me. And that was at Stony Brook in New York, which is a highly rated engineering school. Also remember, Product Masters, if you want to go back to the written summary, the detailed notes of, of everything we talk about, you'll find those at productmasterynow.com slash 371. We also include a one-page action guide to make it easy for you to put into action the key concepts that we do talk about. It's a great takeaway. So again, just go to productmasterynow.com slash 371. Rich, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Chad. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we get a chance to talk because we have, as I mentioned, we have not approached this topic for a while. And I talk to a lot of product managers that don't have a, a reasonable handle just on kind of the, the mechanics of intellectual property protection. And this will be a, a good tutorial for them. And we might dive into some concepts that also help those that are a little bit more, have been in it a bit to help them figure some things out. But first, first I'm just curious about your, the background, right? Patent attorneys have a technical background, a science background. But yours was engineering. What happened along the way? Maybe this was your original plan for all, all I know, but that got you interested in going back to get your JD and become a patent lawyer. Yeah, Chad, great, great question. I mean, um, essentially, I think what happened along the way is, well, were two things is when I was in college, I started a business. I got interested in entrepreneurship. Um, and the second thing that happened is I learned that the reality of being an engineer would be working on the same project day in, day out for years at a time. And it just wasn't my personality. I realized because of, of my entrepreneurship interests that I wanted to work on lots of different things and, and, and that being an engineer quite wouldn't satisfy that. And, and so I, I heard about patent law where essentially it's a field where you need to be um, an engineer or a scientist and a lawyer. And it sounded like a fit. I went to law school and now I get to work on something different every day. So it, it worked out perfectly. I, I did not realize this until I started uh, working with lawyers for a bit, that patent attorneys need to have that science engineering sort of background, right? It's a requirement to be a patent attorney. Exactly. In, in order to be eligible to take the what they call the patent bar exam, it's really um, just about the only specialized bar exam like that. It's, the, it's, it's, it's essentially the only area of the law where you need a special license to be able to practice. Like generally... If you decide you want to go into family law, you just start practicing family law. If you decide you want to handle contracts, you just get some clients who need contracts handled. But in with patent law, you need a, a special license. And in order to be eligible to take that specialized exam, you actually have to have 
uh, an engineering degree or at least a high amount of, of credits in a certain engineer or engineering or science specialization. I think it's why I enjoy talking with patent attorneys because they share that kind of uh, technical background, engineering background and such that we, we, we like we like to know how things work, right? And explain how things work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what the engineering side brings to the law in this realm is the ability to break something down, to break it down right. into its components, to recognize like what is the input, what is the output, like and and how to figure out what goes in between. It's just that that core engineering instinct, I, I suppose. Good. So let's start with some basics for everyone listening. What are the IP protection mechanisms that, as product people that we would care about knowing? Absolutely. I mean, and and I think what. What happens here is that a lot of people get confused between the different areas. They, they might say, hey, we've got a great slogan for this product. Let's patent it. Or they might say, hey, that's a, that's a really cool um, product idea. We should get a copyright on that. And when people say those things, it just reflects a mismatch, a mismatch between the type of protection and the type of thing that you're trying to protect. And I think an easy way to remember it is, is like this. is like if you're talking about products and product ideas and something that makes the product different then you're talking about a patent if you're talking about content like the the content of a page the content of a video co- content um, of a song then that's protected by a copyright so products protected with patents content protected with copyright so far we have that alignment of p with p c with c uh, and then there's also branding, though. Branding, the things that, that consumers use to identify your product and separate it from the competition. So in the case of, of Nike, let's say the name Nike or the swoosh symbol or the phrase just do it. The things that if, if a competitor put them on their product, uh, then the customers might be confused into thinking, oh, wait, aren't you guys affiliated? That's that's the type of thing that's protected by a trademark. So Branding is protected by trademarks, and then going back a step, content, copyright, and products, product ideas protected by patents. So yeah. that's the first thing, just to have the right type of protection lined up with the the thing that you're looking to protect. Yeah, and that's important. As product people, you know, part of our work is that business perspective that we bring to uh, the table here, and we should at least have have the basics covered and we like kind of foolish when we don't use things properly there. So I like how you line those up. So I think trademark for product name, patent for product aspects, the features of it, that what makes it different. And then the copyright for content. That There's another one, one that I hear people throw in at times that I think they get a little bit confused about, and I probably did too originally, which is trade secrets. So a lot of people know that at one time Coca-Cola had a trade secret on their uh, on the recipe. And, and I, I hear it kind of in the context of like, well, we need to go file for a trade secret. Can you talk about trade secrets for a moment? Trade secrets are different than the other areas in that it's, it's not something you really file. Like the, the core to a trade secret is simply you keep it a secret. And then the, the safeguards that you have in place, whether it's the, the, the guard at the gate that keeps people off your facility or it's the safe that you have to keep the formula separated and the procedures that you have for making sure that it doesn't leak. That's how you create the trade secret protection so that mm-hmm. if things are leaked, you're able to take action. And so really, the, you know, the essence of trade secret is just you keep it a secret. And one important determining factor, if that's possible, is whether it's possible to keep it a secret, whether it can be reverse engineered. 
So like if you have a product idea and your product idea is how a physical product is structured and what features it has, that's not a good candidate for trade secret because anyone who has the product in their hand can then reverse engineer it and know exactly what's there. If it's something, and you mentioned Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola formula is the, is really the the quintessential example of a trade secret where you know back in the 19th century, you know, they had talked about patenting the formula for Coca-Cola and someone was smart enough to say, well, you know what, let's just keep it as a trade secret. And if they had applied for a patent, they would have fully explained how to make Coca-Cola, like the, the ingredients, the, the formulation of it. And then when the patent expired 17 years later, anyone would be free to make it and they would have a full blueprint for how to do so. But this person um, had decided, well, let's keep it a secret. And they managed to keep it a secret for all of all of these years. And so it's, again, it's like the, the quintessential example of a trade secret, but it's not really suitable for everyone and everything. And I actually was just talking with a client about this the other day, where, for example, like they, if you've developed a system that maybe has certain new features, like a software system with new features, the new features would be the right subject matter for a patent. But imagine it's, it's an artificial intelligence system and you've acquired data, you've created a data model that now makes your system work well and that data exists on your server. It doesn't go out there in public. It doesn't get provided to the customer. It's, it's, it's just information that you have that helps your, your computations work better. Then that's a good example of what should be protected by a trade secret. Because you know trade secrets are about things that would get leaked where patents are really about things that are out there in the open, anyone can see, but yet can you protect it and prevent the competition from doing it? Yeah, that's a good distinction. I appreciate you sharing that. It's, you know, part of Tesla's value is all the data they have about self-driving vehicles, right? The, I think more than a decade now. Right, exactly. And, and if, they, if they drew some conclusions about it and said, you know what, one of the ways to make a self-driving system work is... You, you look out for stop signs, and then whenever you notice in your computer vision a stop sign, and then you notice that the speed is at a certain level, then you should take this action. I, I, I just made that up, obviously. But the point is, if, you were, if you're able to make a distinction from the data that you then could say, this is what makes it work, you could patent that feature. But then again, for Tesla, they can just say, well, we've gained all this experience. We can just keep it inside in our servers and then our self-driving systems just work better. So that's a choice that they could make. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do, and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, She also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. 
Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com slash love. That's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love and get the recommendations. Let's talk about the value of doing this, right? Of getting trademarks on product names, seeking patents for something new. We'll talk about you know how the role of the product manager fits in all this, but but let's just establish the value first, right? What is the value in if I have a if I'm bringing a new product to the market that is kind of like maybe even a new category? You know, why should I think about trademarking that? Is that really important or not? Or if this is a physical product that it has some unique capabilities, is it really worth patenting? Why would I want to think about that? Yeah, I, I think that that maybe the core of it is whether if your competition were to copy these things, whether it would hurt you economically and on a certain level and in smaller companies, whether you'd be offended by it. Sometimes it won't hurt you economically, but you'd be offended by it. So you so you come up with a, a cool name for your product or a cool name for the for a feature and you want to trademark that name in association with products like if your competition suddenly said well we've got this you know this feature the 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 magic eraser you know additive or what in a cleaning product for example would it hurt you economically because your customers would think like oh that's yeah that like i've used a product before with that and and that works so they mistakenly buy it from your your competitors that would potentially hurt you economically and then sometimes, though, especially with a smaller company, it might not actually hurt you, but it would hurt your pride and you'd be annoyed. And and that then would be a good reason to protect it, too, is like if it's if it's something that would actually zap you of energy to see your competition doing, even if it didn't actually cause damages, that may be a good reason. But, yeah, there's actually a whole bunch of reasons why people might patent something or trademark something, but I would kind of actually divide it into two categories. There are those things that benefit you while your company is operating. So in other words, if you have a patent and you're able to slow down your competition so that maybe they were going to be able to take some of your customers, but you can hold on to market share and maybe you can put a dollar amount on how much that patent's actually helping you during the operation in in reducing competition. Like that's one category. But then the other category is at the time of acquisition, at the time of exit. That's when IP really becomes valuable. When you've got IP that makes it so that the the entity that's acquiring your company really can't do it without you guys, without your company, um, without owning the IP, it greatly magnifies the value that they're willing to pay. So it's like a lot of times when you're looking at when when you're looking at IP, you're thinking in terms of of operating costs, operating expenses. Is it going to result in this much revenue gained compared to what we're spending on IP? But if you do get all the way to exit or acquisition, then then the IP always becomes a no-brainer. Like you always will get a huge ROI on whatever you spend on, on IP if you get to that point, if you have a patent portfolio or a portfolio of patents and trademarks. It's just a, a multiplier when it comes to company valuation. For, for those who watch Shark Tank, I, I, I frequently watch Shark Tank. I, are you a Shark Tank watcher? Yep, yep, uh, absolutely. As an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, so the, they, they talk about, you know, like, do, well, do you have IP on this yet? You know, anything protected here? Or yeah, it's going to be easy to knock off. You have a patent, 
Right. That's exactly. one of the first questions. Yeah. One thing too, just I'll, I'll add to on it too, is that having IP gives you the ability to leverage it in various ways, including licensing, including saying like, okay, well, maybe this isn't the product. Maybe we've got other product priorities, but if we own the IP, we potentially can find someone else who has use for it that then pays us revenue for not even producing any products just for for the fact that they are. So so that's an additional category too. And and that's and the the reason that came up is on Shark Tank, a lot of times that's what's on the sharks minds. Is like, you know what? Like you're like okay, we can invest in your business and you're selling a certain amount, we could help you grow it, but I know someone who might be interested in 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 licensing this from us and we can make far more money doing that. So that's a lot of times why they want to know, do you have the patent? to it because they're thinking of licensing. And relative costs here for people that are new to this, trademarks are, are relatively inexpensive. A, a lot um, less. Compared, yeah, compared to patents, right? Yeah, generally with, with trademarks, you're talking about a few thousand dollars to to get a trademark, let's say domestic. And of course, it, it increases when you're you're going international. If, you're, if your business is international and it pays to have trademarks in foreign countries, but patents typically in the tens of thousands to to get a patent domestically. And, uh, you know, there's different levels for everything and it depends on the type of technology, depends on the complexity. But it, but per your question of, of, rel- of relative cost, yeah, trademarks cost a lot less than patents. Good. Okay, like the examples, ways that you might use patents in the future. I forget who acquired them, but I remember when BlackBerry folded and maybe Nokia, you know, their patents were very valuable to be acquired just for future protection of whoever acquired them. Yep, absolutely. Yep. I mean, the and I, I think I've got the right portfolio, but I think that, that that portfolio was, it was called the Rockstar Consortium, where they, they paid $4 billion for roughly, um, I think, if I'm getting the numbers right, I think about 4,500 patents. And I think if you did the math, it valued each patent at over eight hundred or $900,000. And, and, and granted, I, I know how it works with these corporate patent portfolios. You know, there's, there's some valuable ones in there, but there's a lot of dogs too. And so if the average they're paying is like eight or 900,000, then, you know, there's a huge ROI there. If they spent on average, maybe tens of thousands getting each one, uh, you can see kind of how it adds up, even when you've got bad IP in the portfolio. Yeah. Okay, Good. So on to the role of product managers. So I think of product managers, one metaphor is the bicycle wheel, right? We're kind of in the middle of it, we're the hub, and we have connections to all the other functions in the organization, you know, marketing, sales, engineering, development, the internal council, if we have that. We help coordinate information and we get it as we need and we pass it on as needed. What is it that a product manager can do in this system then, organizational system, to help with the IP protection for a new product, what what should we be thinking about? Yeah, excellent question. And I think really what we're thinking of what what you should be thinking about with regard to IP is similar to what you probably think about with regard to creating new features is differentiation. Right? You're, you're looking to find the things that differentiate yourself or your company from the competition. Um, like what are those added features? What are those added products even that would have have customers do business with your company rather than others. And so with IP, what you're really looking for is product differentiation that you then could keep as exclusive. So if you could differentiate your product in a way that that then your competition can't differentiate their products as because you own the IP, then then it's a way that you 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 create that that advantage in your field. So 
ideally what you want to look for is, is if we had a Venn diagram in front of us, the overlap between what's patentable and what's marketable. So if there's a bunch of features about a product that are patentable, and you've got a bunch of features that are potentially marketable, you find the thing, the, the feature that makes it marketable, the feature that customers are saying, yeah, that's what I want. And the feature that your competition is saying, that's what I want to include in my product too. Such that if, if they can't make it with that feature because you have the patent on it, then they don't even want to compete. Then that's, that's the goal right there is when you find the overlap between that, those two. When you find that feature that really makes it marketable, that's also patentable, then you've got something that helps give you an advantage in your field. Yeah, these are points of distinction that salespeople love, right? B- because the customer might make an objection, well, you know, so-and-so competitor has a similar thing, well, but we own the patent, right? It's actually unique, and what we do is unique and different. They're great, right. powerful and points for salespeople. The customer then feels, yeah, I, I, I'm on board. I buy that. Right. I want my product to have that. And clearly they can't have that too. So that's why I want your product. So that's, that's where IP really comes into play in, with sales. And, and again, in just in cementing that competitive advantage. When should we be thinking about this in our work? So typically product managers, if it's an existing product, we're hopefully, it doesn't always happen, we're hopefully spending time with customers on how they're using the product, what they like about it, what it's not doing for them yet. And we're really just deepening our knowledge of the problem they have so we can enhance our product to better meet, meet their needs. And that's ongoing. Maybe we're getting ready to release the next version of that product. If it's a brand new product that we haven't worked on before, haven't brought to the market before, right? We're, we're starting with whatever the idea was that where this came from. And we're starting to do a little market research on that, deciding if we're going to maybe, maybe we build a business case around it decide if we move it into development, right, to actually launch them. At what point should we be thinking about IP? Two ways to approach that is like, one is, is like, well, when will it be too late to think about IP, right? Hmm. So too late is when, once you've made the, the product public, if you haven't already applied for a patent, it's, it's immediately too late to ever apply in much of the world. In the US, if a year goes by after you make it public, then it becomes too late. And, and most product managers, most entrepreneurs don't even realize this. And so they often get into the game too late. So it's important to know that is like, ideally, you'll want to explore, is this something I should be patenting before you make it? And so that's kind of, that's, that's one way to look at it. And by the way, with regard to trademarks, it's different. You don't lose the rights by having a name out there in public. You can apply for a registered trademark 20 years after you've been using the name out there in public, it's just that if someone else beats you to it, if someone else files earlier, it creates a very complicated and expensive situation. So, so essentially then, you know, that's one way to look at it is like, when is it, you know, when is it um, going to be too late to, you know, to apply for the patent? And let's see, the other, the other direction just escaped me. Can you ask the question again? And I think it'll hit me. You know, the, the too late is useful to just go the other way. Is there a too early, right? When we're just starting to think about an idea, we might be doing some of that initial market research. We don't know, right? Maybe our average is one in 10 that we do market research actually are going to move into development. Should we be thinking about IP then or should we wait till we're actually in development? Okay, absolutely. Okay, now and now I, I've got exactly what I was what I was going to say with this. I would say the other way to approach this is at the earliest point at which you know you have something valuable. That's when you apply for a patent. 
Mm. So it's kind of like like if if you're saying okay, well our idea is you know we we have a a cleaning product and we want to make it non-toxic. Well, there's really nothing valuable there. That's an aspiration, right? But then you maybe begin to explore ways to make it non-toxic and you discover that a certain plant, you know, actually helps to break down grease, but you don't know the exact formulation for it. But you you realize that like people have never spoken before about how this plant extract is useful for breaking down grease. So that might be valuable. So maybe that's the point at which you apply for a patent is when you realize I've got something here that's unique and could be valuable even if I haven't perfected it. But if it's before the point where you really have something that someone would care about, then it's too early. In the, but you could definitely, and, and just to play that out a little bit further, like the way it could work is that you file a preliminary patent application about the use of this, this um, plant extract in a cleaning solution. And then six months later, you've actually come to a formulation that is ideal. You might file a follow-up patent application but you have priority from the first filing six months earlier. So even though you're, you're then filing the full formulation, you still can point back to the fact that you had filed that earlier application. And that could be useful if there's something that came out in between. If someone else had filed a patent application in between having to do with that extract, you could say, well, okay, full formulation was filed today, but I talked about this extract before they file their application. So it's kind of like, I think that's the thinking that you ought to apply to it as a product manager is the earliest point at which you have something that's valuable. Maybe you should do something about patenting. And then as improvements get made, you might do follow-up. You might do follow-up filings. Okay, that makes sense. So when we think we have something valuable, then we should start be start thinking about IP, get the people in our organization that help with that involved and move forward. Okay, that's good. So let's talk about product managers that might be in an organization. They're listening to this. They recognize there have been some opportunities for things that they could have patented in the past. And, and the organization just doesn't really have that as part of their normal system that they think about. So some immature practices in place for IP. What can we do as product managers to help, you know, maybe put a spotlight on the value of IP? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's exactly it. Like in your question is is a bit of the answer is like, it seems like if a company has not been pursuing IP, if they have not been taking the right steps with regard to previous products have let opportunities go by, then it seems like job one is to get everyone on board with the potential value of IP, maybe by showing the opportunities that have been missed in the past. And it's kind of like having everyone on board, including the people that make the budgets, is critical. Because simply having an idea, like in such an environment, if you have a great idea that should be worthy of protection, it's hard to then convince, convince others to allocate a budget to it if there is no culture around IP. If there is no previous experience with, with valuing IP and taking action on other ideas, I think then that's the first thing that needs to be transformed is to get everyone to say, yes, when we have ideas, we ought to be pursuing them. And we ought to have a program to look out for things that are being developed by our R&D team, uh, things that are being created that might be valuable in the marketplace so that we then pursue the right things at the right time. Good. 
Yeah, help others recognize the value of this. And, and one value, I think it's, I don't personally have my name on a patent, but that seems just kind of like a cool thing, right? So, you know, people thinking about, is there any inherent value for you in, in your career with your name on a patent? Yeah, I mean, in general, like when you when you are um, developing something at a company, you know that the the rights to the things you're developing belong to the company. So it's not going to make you rich per se. But when when a company goes ahead and um, puts their resources behind applying for a patent on something that you created, I think it looks good. And I think it's the type of thing that on your resume, on your LinkedIn profile, like in any um, job searching that you may do in the future, I think it's a feather in your cap. I think Mm -hmm. people look at it as not only did you do something that was valuable enough for them to put uh, their resources in, in other words, one of your employees um, put money behind what you created. So, So clearly you do valuable work. But also, in a certain respect, you were valued there. You were valued right. for the work that you did. And I, I think that, that those two together make it something that, that certainly is worthwhile. I mean, especially they're putting their resources into it. I think it's a, it's, it's a great thing to have you know, on your CV or your resume or the like. Yeah. If nothing else, it makes for interesting conversations. I remember I was camping once in near Santa Clara, California, and ran into this other guy in the campground who happened to have uh, his name on some of the patents for uh, plug-and-play architectures. And so those that were, the the states, all of us now, that were in the beginning of the computer industry, you couldn't just plug in an external device into a computer when it was on and expect it to work. It would not, right? And so plug-and-play made such things more possible. And and these are just fun things to talk about. It's like, hold on, you, you what? Where were we? And he knew all these interesting people, right, at these interesting companies at the time. And that was just fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, th- I think it's definitely a, a good thing to have. And it's kind of funny, even as a patent attorney, and I've worked on thousands of patent cases, when I have a new client who we're working on something together and they say, oh, yeah, you know, it might, when I worked in corporate, I had six other patents. Like, I'm like, oh, really? Like, like it's impressive to me, even though I'm someone who deals with patents all the time. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm, I'm curious to find out more about it. So I, I think it is something that it is a great story to tell. And useful to have. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Thank you all so much for the information about patents and trademarks and the IP that we should be aware of as product managers. And just another shout out for your book, if people want to dive in more into what's involved in getting a patent, the ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent, a good resource there. As listeners know, we love innovation quotes around here. What do you have for us and what does that mean to you? This is one I, I don't agree with, right? There's that old expression that goes, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be the path to you. And I think that this is just totally not true and is not to be believed. And that is, it's kind of like saying, like, if you have the idea, people will find you. And, and you know it's not true. Any of the best ideas that you've had as product managers, you, you needed to go knock on doors to get other people to see what a good idea that was. And certainly your company is needed to knock on doors of customers to show them, hey, we have this. So I think when it comes to innovation, the the lesson that goes opposite from the quote is it's just, it's important to sell. It's important to go out there and take the ideas that you have and sell it to the people that then could could make a difference with those ideas. So that's, I guess that's my my reverse psychology on my innovation quote. I like that. Thank you for sharing that with us. It does take other aspects too. Great product, products are a, an important start, but they do people no good if they can't find out about them. 
Okay, how can people find out more about you and the work that you do? If you want to find out more about about patents and I mean, first of all, I have a podcast called Innovations and Breakthroughs. It's, a, it's really about the path that people take to bring innovations out there. I Also, if you want to learn about patents on my website, I have videos. Go to goldsteinpatentlaw.com. You know, my personal site is richgoldstein.com. And in, in general, I, I, I love to, I'm passionate about helping people to understand IP and helping entrepreneurs make good decisions about IP. And I love speaking and being on podcasts and and it was great being on your podcast here today, Chad, and and happy to be on others as well. Thank you, Rich. You were a wonderful guest. You brought us valuable information and an aspect about our work as product professionals that we may not be too familiar with some of us, and certainly you, you helped us get more familiar with it. So appreciate the insights about IP mechanisms. And for listeners, uh, do remember we have detailed show notes for you, a summary of everything we talk about, plus that one-page guide to put into action the key concepts that we did discuss, the key ideas. You'll find all that at productmasterynow.com slash 371 with those details that Rich just shared with us in a written format. That makes it really easy for you to share with your colleagues. And don't forget to check out that one-page action guide. They're always helpful. Rich, once again, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.